Chapter Seven of It's Your Fairy Tale, You Know, by Elizabeth Rhodes Jackson. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Wendell Works the Midnight Spell. How did she get that way? he asked the pixie, who only smiled gleefully and returned, It's a great life, isn't it, this fairy story business? Well, I suppose I've got to do it, said the harassed boy. How am I ever going to stay awake till midnight? I don't see. Oh, I'll wake you, my boy, said the pixie obligingly. You go to bed. And what am I going to do with him, with her, pursued Wendell, pointing vindictively to the frog. Now I know what she is. I've got to make her comfortable somewhere. She can't sleep in a stocking. The frog blinked and stared at him. Wendell stared back gloomily. He wondered if different frogs looked different to each other, like boys and dogs. It seemed to him that this frog was particularly ugly, even judged by frog standards of beauty. Well, poor thing, that was probably the cobalt's fault. I know what I'll do with her, he said. I'll put her in the guest chamber for the night. She'll like that. Virginia's away overnight. It wasn't very easy to catch the frog. It eluded Wendell with long-legged leaps, but Wendell cornered it at last with the help of the pixie and carried it, its little heart pulsating with fright, to the dainty room that Cousin Virginia occupied, and tucked it into bed. "'One good job done,' said Wendell to himself. "'I won't have to sleep with that in the room tonight.' "'Well, old chap, I guess I'll go to bed now,' he said, yawning to the pixie. "'And if you will call me, say about eleven-thirty, I'll be much obliged.' As he slid under the bedclothes and sprawled out in solid comfort, his foot touched something cold, clammy, repellent. He barely repressed a shriek. He threw back the bedclothes. Yes, the frog again. Now how did he ever get there? cried Wendell in bewilderment. I'm sure he couldn't open the door. It is magic for sure. She, you mean. You can't shake her, rejoined the pixie maliciously. It's your fairy tale, you know, and you are the rescuer. Well, what shall I do with her now? asked Wendell in despair. Do you suppose she'd stay here if I went into Cousin Virginia's room? Not for a moment, said the pixie. I tell you, you put her under the down puff on the foot of the bed, and I'll keep an eye on her. It seemed about five minutes after Wendell was in bed when he awoke suddenly and found that the pixie was pounding him severely. Hold on, hold on, he called. What's the matter? "'The matter is I've been trying for the last ten minutes to wake you,' said the pixie, exasperated. "'The sleeping beauty had nothing on you. Hurry up now, or you won't get there at midnight.' Wendell tumbled into his clothes and tiptoed, as noiselessly as in him lay, down the broad old-fashioned stairs, and still another flight to the basement. He did not dare risk the noise of the front door, so he emerged from the kitchen into the back alley and thence to the street. Not a person was in sight. Only a black-and-white cat prowled the gutters. A strange silence covered the city. Even the surging, seething roar of West End children at play, which rises all the evening, was stilled. Wendell's running footsteps, beating rhythmic time on the brick pavement of old Boston, alone broke the stillness. No traffic policeman presided over Beacon Street, he gained the common, skirted the frog pond, and faced Flagstaff Hill, 
and brave boy though he was, he did tremble in his boots. The frequent electric lights along the thoroughfares that bound the common drew glowing lines of light around it, and there were bright lights at the intersection of the walks, but here, on the gentle slope of Flagstaff Hill, under the tall elms, a great black shadow lay. No Boston boy, born and reared among the historic traditions of the Commonwealth, but knows the somber legend of this sight, that under this soil lie buried the Quakers and the pirates whom Puritan zeal executed on this spot in the early days of the colony. Cold chills ran up and down Wendell's spine as he stood here in the shadow and listened for the stroke of midnight. Presently it boomed forth from the old church on Mount Vernon Street, the same metal voice that struck the hour to the poet Longfellow when he stood on the bridge at midnight. Now was the fateful moment, and do you know whether it was magic or whether it was scare, I can't say, but Wendell couldn't for the life of him remember that charm that was to summon the kobold. A striking of the clock, bringing with it the memory of that well-known poem which he had learned in school, had driven every bit of verse out of his mind, except his cousin Virginia's irreverent version of the same poem. I stood on the bridge at midnight as the clocks were striking three, and a cabman drove across the bridge and hitched his horse to me. On the eleventh stroke of the old church bell, the Park Street Church at Brimstone Corner took up the echo. Wendell, by a mighty effort, recalled the charm before the second sonorous voice had died on the still air. Green hill, green hill, open to me. I would the wise old cobalt sea, repeated Wendell. Suddenly another electric light on the path below sprang into brightness and sent a light streak across the shadow of the elms. For a moment Wendell fancied, and decided that it must only be fancy, that the ground trembled slightly under his feet. Then before his eyes there came a crack in the earth, as if a giant seed were germinating and pushing up a shoot. The crack widened. It became a tunnel extending apparently into the very heart of the hill, and suddenly, like a cut moving picture film that jerks a sudden change upon the screen, he saw that the mouth of the tunnel was occupied by an unexpected grotesque figure that could be none other than the kobold. Wendell had expected that the kobold would look somewhat like the pixie, but they had nothing in common except smallness of stature. The cobalt was about the size of a six-year-old, and had white hair and white whiskers, and a very long white beard that reached to his waist. He appeared to be wearing a belted velvet suit with full sleeves and breeches, and he was very stout and stocky. "'Who summons me?' he said, with dignity. "'I do,' said Wendell, advancing boldly, now that there was need for action. I should like to know how to free the beauteous maiden from your spell." The cobalt chuckled grimly, an exclusive sort of chuckle that made Wendell feel very much out of the joke. "'If you wish to win the maiden's freedom,' he said slowly, "'you will first have to guess a riddle. You may have three chances to give the answer. If you guess correctly on any one of those trials, the maiden shall be restored to her original form. If you fail, she shall still remain a frog, and you too shall be transformed into another shape at my will. 
"'Good gracious!' cried Wendell. "'Is there as much to it as all that? "'I'm not going to be changed into anything at anybody's will. "'You can keep your old riddle and your frog, too, for all of me.' "'He turned to go. "'Stay!' cried the cobalt. "'So he stayed to listen. "'I might add,' said the cobalt, "'that while the above terms are my regular ones, "'I might make a slight reduction in your case, "'as business is particularly dull just now.' Indeed, to be candid, it is nearly a hundred years since I have had any opportunity to hold this guessing contest. Well, how much of a reduction, asked Wendell. Will you leave out the part about transforming me? Say, if I win, the frog changes back to the maiden, and if I lose, it stays a frog? No, no, returned the cobalt. Such is not my method of doing business. The princes that have entered this contest in times past have at least agreed to be transformed for a limited time. Not for a moment for me, said Wendell. Times have changed. A week, say, urged the cobalt. I tell you frankly, I shall not release the maiden for less, and if she is not released before one more year is run, she will be turned into a loathly dragon for life. Well, make it a week, then, said Wendell sulkily. Agreed, said the cobalt. Here, then, is the riddle you must answer. What is Boston? Without a moment's hesitation, just as promptly as if he had been asked his own name, Wendell replied in Dr. Holmes's words, as any Boston boy would, Boston is the hub of the universe. Wrong, wrong, chuckled the cobalt maliciously. I knew you'd say that, but there is another answer. Well, said the crestfallen Wendell, I'll go home and think it over. And say, do I have to come at midnight every time? It's mighty hard to sneak out just then. No, I will make an appointment with you for any time you say, returned the cobalt obligingly. Morning, evening, whatever you wish. Let's make it eight o'clock in the morning, said Wendell. I could drop in here on the way to school. Tomorrow, asked the cobalt. No, hesitated Wendell. I'll need a little time on this thing. I'll wager you will, chuckled the old cobalt, growing almost slangy in his dignified glee. Say the day after tomorrow, suggested Wendell. Agreed, said the cobalt. You will find me here outside the hill, and mind you bring back that frog. It is not your property, you must remember. I will. I'll be glad to, returned Wendell hurriedly. The frog was already on his nerves. And only two more guesses, added the cobalt. I know, said Wendell meekly. He was very much mortified to have failed so quickly through his own assurance. He went back through the silent streets, let himself in quietly and bolted the back door, took off his shoes and groped up to his room where the pixie sat awaiting him. End of chapter 7